It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Julius Jones? So first I'll look at the background of Julius Jones. I'll move to the timeline of the crime and offer my analysis. Julius Jones was born on July 25, 1980. He was raised in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. His father was a construction worker and his mother was a school teacher. He had an older brother and a younger sister. Julius performed well in school, graduating high school in the top 10% of his class. His GPA was 3.8. He earned a scholarship to the University of Oklahoma. Starting in the spring of 1999, people noticed a change in Julius's behavior. He was hanging out with known criminals, like a man named Christopher Jordan, and committing various crimes. He had a number of run-ins with the law. In March of 1999, he was arrested for stealing a Honda Accord. When the police were confronting him, he reached for a loaded gun in the vehicle. The police were able to pull him out of the vehicle without using deadly force. Also in March of 1999, he was caught outside of a bank in possession of a ski mask, gloves, and a water pistol that was painted to look like an actual firearm. In July 1999, he committed an armed robbery of a jewelry store and robbed a pizza shop. On May 26, 1999, he pleaded guilty to unlawful use of a fictitious name, giving a false declaration to a pawnbroker, concealing stolen property, and larceny of merchandise. It appears as though he was trying to steal items that he could sell. He was trying to maintain a certain image while he was in college. He needed money for nice clothes and other items that would convince people that he was wealthy, put together, or successful. His academic performance at the university declined severely. His GPA was 0.8. It would appear as though the only items he was getting right on quizzes was spelling his name. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. The timeline starts on July 28, 1999 in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is an upscale community just north of Oklahoma City. It was about a 20-minute drive from where Julius lived with his parents. A 45-year-old insurance executive named Paul Scott Howell was driving his Sandy Brown 1997 GMC Suburban. During that time, both Chevy and GMC made the Suburban. These days, only Chevrolet does. In the Suburban, along with Paul, was his older sister, Megan Toby, and his two daughters, ages 7 and 9. Paul was currently living with his parents. Paul, his sister, and his children had just returned from shopping for back-to-school items and getting ice cream. Near the ice cream shop where they stopped, 
witnesses noticed two black males in an Oldsmobile Cutlass driving around in circles. They selected a parking space and backed into it. Witnesses said that the driver's hair had cornrows and the passenger was wearing a white t-shirt. There were only two occupants in the vehicle, the driver and the passenger. At 9.30 p.m., Paul pulled into his parents' driveway and turned off the engine. Paul stepped out of the vehicle and was confronted by a man pointing a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol at him. The man demanded the keys to Paul's Suburban. Right after this, the man shot Paul to death. Paul's sister Megan and his daughters were getting out of the vehicle as all this was happening. They escaped. The assailant climbed into the driver's seat of the Suburban and drove away. Megan Toby was the only individual who could describe the shooter. She said it was a black man wearing a white t-shirt, stocking cap, and a red bandana. She said that she could see the assailant's hair sticking out about a half inch from under the stocking cap. This becomes important later. The police started looking for the Suburban. At that time, it was a vehicle that was favored by chop shops, so people would steal them, dismantle them, and sell the parts. They found the vehicle at 1.40 a.m. on July 30. It had been abandoned in a grocery store parking lot on the south side of Oklahoma City. Four blocks away from where the vehicle was parked, a man named Kermit Lottie operated a chop shop. He was also a confidential informant for the police. When the police spoke to him, Kermit said that on July 29, the day after the murder, a man named Liddell King stopped by the shop. Liddell, who was accompanied by a man that Kermit did not know, tried to sell Kermit a suburban that was tied to a murder. Kermit said he was not interested. It's not clear if Kermit recommended that Liddell try one of his competitors down the street, Miss Piggy. At 2.32 p.m., again on July 30, the police located Liddell King and brought him in for questioning. Here's the story that Liddell gave to the police. He was just a middleman as far as the suburban. On the night of the murder, Christopher Jordan stopped by Liddell's apartment at about 10 p.m. driving a 1972 Oldsmobile Cutlass. Julius Jones pulled up in a Sandy Brown GMC Suburban just a few minutes later. Liddell noticed that Julius was wearing brown cotton gloves on his hands, even though it was 88 degrees outside. Christopher and Julius asked for Liddell's help with selling the Suburban. Liddell agreed and drove the Suburban to Kermit's shop, only then to find out that the vehicle was involved in that murder of Paul Howell. Christopher and Julius visited Liddell the next day, and Julius admitted to Liddell that he was the killer. He said he just opened the door of the Suburban and the gun went off. So another one of these guns that just magically fires by itself. After hearing Liddell's story, the police started looking for Julius Jones. They called his parents' house at 3.55 p.m. Julius answered the phone. The police asked to speak with Julius. He said he wasn't there and hung up. He then exited out of the back of the house. Walking down the street, he ran into Christopher Jordan. They would go to Christopher's brother's apartment. The police arrived at Christopher's parents' house and confronted them with their guns drawn, making everybody exit the house. They didn't enter the house at that time because they were waiting for a search warrant. At 6.30 p.m., Christopher Jordan was spotted using a payphone not far from Adele's apartment. The police arrested him. He claimed that Julius was the shooter. Christopher was simply driving the vehicle. The search warrant was obtained at 9.30 p.m. After a tactical team searched the house unsuccessfully for Julius, 
and made sure the environment was safe, the police searched for incriminating evidence. In a crawl space above the closet in Julius's bedroom, they found a 25 caliber semi-automatic pistol wrapped in a red bandana. They also found a white t-shirt and a black stocking on the bedroom floor. A matching loaded magazine was found behind the cover of a door chime. Later, the police would find a box of 25 caliber cartridges in Julius's car at a nearby transmission shop. These cartridges matched the bullets used to kill Paul Howell. Now moving to July 31 at 6.30 a.m., the police arrest Julius Jones at the apartment of Christopher Jordan's brother. Julius asked for an attorney after arriving at the police station. The police conducted a formal interview of Christopher Jordan. Christopher maintained his story about being only the driver. He said they followed Paul after seeing him at the ice cream shop. They parked near the house. Julius exited the Cutlass, killed Paul, and stole the Suburban. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Christopher had trouble keeping his story straight. For example, he said, I didn't see a gun. I didn't touch a gun. Yet at another point, he said, I might have touched the gun. I might have loaded the gun. Christopher would use the pronoun I, only to quickly change it to the pronoun he. At one point, a detective asked Christopher if they had it backwards, suggesting that Christopher was the shooter and Julius was the driver. It seems as though the detectives helped Christopher along a little bit by forgiving his inconsistencies and moving away from tough questions. After hearing Christopher's statement, Julius was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit a felony, and possession of a firearm after conviction of a felony. Christopher was offered a plea deal, which he accepted, 30 years in prison in exchange for his testimony against Julius. In reality, he only served 15 years. Julius Jones' trial started on February 14, 2002. He was represented by attorneys from the Public Defender's Office, none of whom had ever tried a capital murder case. One of his three attorneys was still in law school. One of the prosecutors was a man named Bob Macy. He had a reputation as a tough guy who broke the rules. There was only one black person on the jury. During jury selection, 
the prosecution eliminated a number of potential jurors who were black for reasons like having been the victim of a crime or having committed a crime. The prosecution did not apply the same standard to those who were white. For example, one white juror had two felony convictions. The prosecution's case was straightforward. Liddell and Christopher both testified against Julius. Julius was the trigger man. The gun, the bandana, and other items connected to the crime were found in the house where Julius lived. The defense barely put up a fight. They did an awful job. I'll talk about this in the analysis. Julius Jones was convicted of all charges and sentenced to death. At the time making this video, Julius is out of appeals. He has one chance to get his sentence commuted by the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board. It's not clear what his chances of being successful are, but if he's unsuccessful, the state will move forward with his execution. Now moving to my analysis. Was Julius Jones actually guilty? Many people, including celebrities like Kim Kardashian, believe that he is not. The state has suggested that these celebrities are being mesmerized by misinformation. Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that Julius is guilty. Some of the evidence was not used in the trial. I'll start with the inculpatory factors. Liddell and Christopher both said that he was guilty. Again, they testified against him. Julius had an escalating criminal history. He was a suspect in several other serious crimes, which occurred not long before the homicide. Julius fled his house upon discovering the police were looking for him. Usually people who are innocent would not do that. There was a video from the grocery store where the Suburban was found, which showed Liddell and Julius inside the store at 3.30 p.m., the day after the murder. The search of the residence where Julius lived produced the murder weapon, the bandana, and other evidence tied to the crime. The bandana was tested for DNA long after the trial. The DNA that was found came from at least three people. The prosecution said that it matches Julius. The defense says that it doesn't. The defense also said that Christopher Jordan is not excluded as one of the donors of the DNA found on the bandana. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. No physical evidence tied Julius Jones to the suburban. No DNA. No fingerprints, no hair, no fibers from his clothing, nothing like that. Julius explained that video surveillance that captured Liddell and him together by saying that he was just helping Liddell by following the Suburban while driving Liddell's vehicle. So Julius didn't want to have anything to do with that Suburban. He tried to keep his fingerprints and other evidence out of it. He was just driving Liddell's car, just, again, helping him out. Julius claims that Christopher Jordan showed up at his parents' house not long after the murder. Christopher said that he was locked out of his grandmother's house. Christopher spent some time in Julius's bedroom. He must have hidden the items in the house at that time. I think this is an exculpatory item, but it's worth noting that this only explains the gun and the bandana, not the magazine found in the door chime and the cartridges found in Julius's vehicle. Julius had an alibi for the night of the murder. He said he was at his parents' residence with his parents and his sister. They ate spaghetti and played Monopoly. His parents and sister corroborated this story. There were a number of inconsistent statements that Christopher Jordan gave to the police. Jailhouse informants allegedly heard Christopher Jordan confess to being the killer and framing Julius. This seems a little convenient, but the defense claims that these informants had nothing to gain from coming forward. Even still, I don't put a lot of weight on jailhouse informants. Considering all the evidence, do I think Julius Jones was guilty? 
I think he was guilty in reality. The items found in his house and car connect him to the crime in a way that's really hard to escape. Do I think he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? No. I think there's a lot of reasonable doubt in this case. I think what really happened is that Christopher and Julius conspired to carjack the Suburban. There's no way to know who the shooter was, but it stands to reason that their penalties should have been similar. Not one person sentenced to death and another one out of prison in 15 years. Outside of the issue of guilt or innocence, there's no way that Julius Jones received a fair trial. I think he deserves another trial. There are many reasons to believe it was not fair, including mistakes made by the defense. When it came time to cross-examine Christopher Jordan, the defense failed to challenge his credibility in any meaningful way. The defense made a crucial mistake in the cross-examination of Megan Toby. Again, this was Paul's sister, who said the killer had hair sticking out from below a stocking cap. There was a booking photo from Julius Jones that had been taken nine days before the murder, after he was arrested for reckless driving. In the photo, he has short hair, which is inconsistent with Megan's description. The defense never brought this up. They never showed Megan the photo and challenged her identification. Julia's parents and sister said that he was with them during the time of the murder. The defense did not call them to testify because they were worried about a letter ostensibly written by Julius from jail, in which Julius stated to his girlfriend at the time that he was not at home during the time of the murder. Julius and the girlfriend deny there was ever a letter. The girlfriend also said that no one from the public defender's office ever spoke to her. The defense rested without calling a single witness. They used the term rested. What they probably meant was asleep or perhaps in a coma. This was beyond mere resting. They really didn't do anything to properly represent Julius. The lead defense attorney would later suggest that he did a terrible job defending Julius. I think many people would concur. Christopher Jordan was released after 15 years in prison, as I mentioned. The jury thought he was going away for 30, so he received a much better deal than the jury thought. Liddell and Kermit both received a substantial benefit for their testimony, even though the prosecution said they did not. Liddell had three prior felony convictions and was facing 20 years in prison for check-cashing fraud. His case was dismissed. Kermit was facing 40 years for federal drug charges. He only served four years. Prior to deliberations, one of the jurors allegedly used a racial slur when referring to Julius and said that Julius should be shot and buried under the jail. My final thoughts in this case. I think this was a case where there was a lot of concern about making somebody pay for this crime. The police and prosecution made deals with criminals to testify against other criminals, which is a common strategy, but one that generates a lot of bad witnesses. The defense decided to help the prosecution by doing a terrible job of their own. It's almost like in Julius's trial, both sides were the prosecution. It was like the state and the state, prosecution one and prosecution two. The whole idea of opposing forces was just lost on this crowd. As I mentioned, I think Julius is actually guilty. This is a sad case where someone with a lot of promise was attracted by the glory of criminal life. Considering the pace at which Julius was committing violent crimes, including that carjacking just six days before the murder, he seemed to be on a collision course with a negative outcome. In the end, it appears as though Julius will find the consequences of his behavior. 
This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.